0: Hello and welcome to Les Lit. We are in the podcast that talks all about lesbian literature from the perspective of readers and authors alike. So um, my name's Nicole Disney and you probably have heard by now but if not I am a author and of course an avid reader of lesbian fiction and wanted to start this podcast just so that I could geek out with all kinds of authors and readers and bring light to this genre that we love because far too many people don't know it's a thing. It took me forever to find it. It took pretty much everyone I've talked to about it forever to find it and we want to make it easier for those coming after us.
1: And I am Cassandra, the reader and also Nicole's wife and tiny bit writer.
0: So with that said, today we're going to talk about a few things but we're going to start on the topic of reviews because, man. They are just, they'll rip your heart out, won't they? They're almost always awful. (laughs) I mean... (laughs) I mean, even when...
1: The nice ones are nice, don't get me wrong, but anyone that are semi-anywhere other than praiseworthy is like, ah.
0: Yes, it can be brutal. But they are vitally important to us as authors as far as promotion, but also to help us grow as authors and... Knowing how to handle them is kind of an art unto its own, so we're going to spend some time talking about it.
1: Oh, Nicole, I believe you've struggled with, what, mediocre reviews until the clinch came out and then that one just exploded with positive reviews?
0: Uh, well, it depends on what you mean by mediocre. I guess I have had a mediocre amount of them.
1: Average, I guess. Until
0: now, I mean... Average rating. Oh, as far as the rating? And I mean, I don't know. I've gotten quite a few really nice ones, actually, even before the clinch. I just didn't have enough of them. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, I could look up my average, I guess. I would say that maintaining anything over a four is extremely difficult because that means you need way more fives than everything... Well, you need more fives than everything else combined. My average for my first book with bold strokes, Hearst to Protect... Has an average rating of 3.96, so just under that four-star mark, which is always my goal, but again, difficult to maintain. So the book's good. Yeah. Secrets on the Clock has an average of 3.92, not quite as good. Um, Shadows of a Dream has an average of 3.88. And then The Clinch, which has been my most successful book by far, has an average of 4.58 which is just fantastic. Um, Could not be happier with that. I've got 236 ratings on that one right now. Goodreads? On Goodreads, yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, let's see, 153 of them are five stars. So, and again, there's a difference between ratings and reviews because of those over 200 ratings, I only have 75 reviews. So the ratings give you kind of a general sense of... If people are liking it or not, but the reviews are where you're really going to get your sometimes helpful information.
1: <laughs> <laughs> sometimes.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, and the thing too about it is that on all of my books, I've had a lot of five star reviews where they love it, you know, and then there's also just your lower ratings, which, you know, of course, that's why you end up with an average. So, I don't think I've ever had a book just kind of do mediocre in the sense that I got, like, a lot of threes, for instance. It's always kind of polarized. You'll get a lot of fives and... And then zeros or twos or... Yeah, I mean, well, generally, I don't know. I guess I think it's mostly fives through threes, and people have to really hate it to give it a two or a one. But when it happens, it does really bring you down. It's dramatic so and of course those are the hardest ones to look at too and sometimes a lot of those don't come with reviews a lot of people just rate it and run but um i don't know though i think i've only had maybe five one stars total across all of them so it's not common to get a one Mm. or two but you'll get a lot of threes which are kind of the hardest i think i think threes are where you're gonna have your most heart-wrenching reviews because if it's a two or a one like I said a lot of time they don't say anything and if they do say something they're just so far gone then it's kind of easier to disconnect you're like okay well this person just doesn't get my story or this person's just had a bad day I had one person who said in the review they had a bad day (laughs) Oh really? Yeah, they're like maybe it's just because I had a bad day and my dog died or whatever. But two stars. (laughs) (laughs) I don't remember exactly what what they said, but it was something to that effect. And I was like, okay, well, Well, at least you were honest about that. Yeah. So I mean, a lot of the ones and twos end up being kind of thrown out because they're not really helpful, you know. Or even if they do genuinely hate it, they'll kind of just be like, "Fuck this book," you know. And you can't do anything with that. So, and then of course the five stars. Feel really good the four stars a lot of times feel really good too but you know it's all praise you're like you know it's just kind of a celebration fest and i find the threes are where you get a lot of your negative critique that could potentially be helpful
1: Hmm. have you got a uh negative review that was actually helpful
0: yeah i definitely have i'll have to try to think back for a second here to the details of it I think a lot of the comments that I've gotten on threes that have been helpful have been kind of vague, but enough that you do the work yourself, which is important, because you don't necessarily want to just do what people tell you to do, because then you're not, you know, you, you need to be your own writer. But when people just give you a problem, like I just didn't quite connect with this character enough, or this conflict felt too forced, I didn't really believe that would happen. Things like that, where they're not necessarily saying do this or do that, but they're kind of pointing to just a thing in the story that didn't quite work for them. And now it's your job as the writer to figure out how to make it work better in the future. I think that's where you get your most positive growth. It's You've just been told it's not working. And really, I think that that's about all you ever need to say to a writer. If you're doing like a focused critique and they're asking you for direction, sometimes it's appropriate to give more than that. But when I'm critiquing, I actually try not to give too much of that because it's better if the writer comes up with it themselves your job is just to say this isn't working for me for whatever reason Mm. things like that i'm not connecting with this character this conflict feels forced this the way they overcame this felt unrealistic you know whatever it may be you know um that's more constructive usually because the writer needs to come up with it both so that they can grow and be a better writer but also because they have to write it, and it has to feel authentic to them.
1: It's kind of like psychology, you know? Like, psychiatrists can't ever just directly tell you what's wrong with you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they do this roundabout shit until so you come up with it yourself. And you go, oh! And they're like, mm-hmm. see, you came up with that on your own. Mm-hmm. You can't reject what I told you.
0: Absolutely. And I think that a lot of times with the reviews it takes time to be able to extract the, the good from it. Cause especially if it's a harsh review where someone's kind of being, I mean, sometimes people are outright mean, but more often they're probably being insensitive, but sometimes those, it takes a little while for the emotions of that to settle for you to get to the point where you can take something co- constructive from it. Because not everybody's going to give it to you constructively. I don't, know if people just think of authors as like kind of these inhuman you know celebrities almost and like people will do the same thing to celebrities mm-hmm. where they'll just say anything and everything as if they're not a real person and I, not that you know people think that writers are megastars or anything but there's that same kind of disconnect from their humanity where you don't really think about how it's going to make them feel you don't even necessarily think they're going to read it. Or even if you do, you don't. You just don't think of it the same way as if you were like sitting there talking to them face-to-face. And I think some people categorize it as the writer's job to take critique, no matter how harsh it is, and to an extent that's true. Although there's always a nice way to say these things, and I don't think it's ever necessary to be a jerk. But I think some people kind of think that it's not their problem if they hurt your feelings. Like, either that they won't hurt your feelings, or that even if they do, it's not really their problem. Yeah.
1: I think it's funny when they write, like, a massively awful review, but it's, like, super poorly written. (laughs) And I'm like, you have no room. It's almost like you have to just throw that one away. It's like, well, you can't even write a comment to yourself. You know what you're talking about, right. Yeah, you couldn't spell this right. There's barely any punctuation. It's all one freaking one sentence, even though it's... Mm -hmm. There should be four periods in there.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and that can be true. And even sometimes those people still have good feedback. Mm -hmm. Because ultimately, you're writing it hoping that the reader's going to enjoy it, and you've got a reader who didn't, you know, if it's a negative review. So ultimately, no matter what they say, it's valid in some kind of way. Mm -hmm. But... It depends too on if they're giving you that kind of feedback where they're just saying something didn't work for them or if they're telling you to do something specific. And when they're telling you to do something specific, a lot of times is the shit you end up having to throw out because they're not writers usually. Mm-hmm. And it's your job as a writer to know what is good and bad writing, you know? So if someone tells you to do something that you know is bad writing, you're going to throw it out. Mm-hmm. You might, if you're really dedicated to your craft and really good at taking critique you might still look at the problem like if someone says i didn't like this conflict it felt forced you should have had it go this way and you know that doing it that way would have completely destroyed every character arc in the book then you know okay that's not good writing advice but they didn't like the way i resolved this conflict how can i fix that Mm -hmm. so you have to ignore the advice but focus on the problem still I still acknowledge that there was a problem for them speaking of critiques you're
1: pretty dang good at those
0: oh thank you <laughs> <laughs> thank you i i like critiquing and i take it super seriously i think a part of why i do good critiques is not because i'm exceptionally talented it's just because i put a shitload of effort into it and yeah, uh, you
1: really you know how to say it without being an asshole <laughs>
0: Well, I'm sure that comes a lot from being a writer, too. I I know how much it hurts, and I've had rough critique, you know, so I want to put it as gently as possible, and even I definitely know that I've still hurt people's feelings despite my best efforts, so it's a thing where it just hurts to get critique, so you say it as nice as you can, but there are certain things that are going to hurt no matter how you say it.
1: What's the first critique you got on your stuff?
0: (laughs) I was 16 and my stepfather was friends with a radio film critic who was friends with a book editor. So when I finished my first novel, through that little chain of connections, she agreed to edit my book for me because she just thought it was really cool that I was 16 and wrote one. So she's just like, I'll help her. Like, cool, let's do it. I'll check it out.
1: That was your fantasy novel? That was
0: my fantasy novel. Yeah. And at first I think she just wanted to kind of see it. And then she's like, oh, you can actually write. Let me work with you on this. Uh And um, I was so excited and I thought it was going to like be the beginning of this awesome thing and it was going to go on to be published and whatever, you know. So I gave her the whole book and there was just this period of, I think, five or six weeks where I was just waiting to get the manuscript back. Mm -hmm. And... During this entire time, I'm feeling like a rock star. Because every once in a while, she'd send me a message and be like, this is where I'm at. You're so amazing. You're a prodigy. Like, she'd say all these really encouraging things. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm working with a real editor. So I'm, like, hyped up. So I I think my expectations and my hopes got so high. Mm -hmm. And then she gives me back the manuscript. And it was in my mind, ripped to fucking shreds. (laughs) All red. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Red everywhere. X's, checks, circles, (laughs) paragraphs. I'm like, fuck! (laughs) I'm like, do you want to just rewrite it, bitch? (laughs) I was on fire and i think like i was super mad at first and then i just started crying and of course my mom is like why did we do this like (laughs) mom's like panicking because i'm having a meltdown (laughs) and um and then you know this is why it's important to wait is because then a couple days went by and I kind of got over it and I came back to look at it, you know, because at first I didn't even know what it said. I was so upset. Like I looked at it, but I just <laughs> went straight to like emotion land mm-hmm. and this was like, she thinks that's terrible. Why did she tell me I could write? Clearly, she doesn't believe that. <laughs> right. <laughs> and um, so I just went straight to emotion land and I didn't retain a single thing it actually said. So, like, a few days later, I calmed down enough to come back and look at it again. And when I looked at it a second time, it was not that bad. <laughs> I mean, it was a lot, but I was 16, and it was my first book. So, yeah, it was There's a lot. a lot
1: of shit going on. Yeah.
0: And, um... And she said everything nicely, and she said a lot of constructive stuff, and she said a lot of positive stuff. Yeah, and Yeah, and she corrected a lot, too. Don't get me wrong. That story changed dramatically, but it wasn't nearly as bad as the apocalypse I thought it was when I first got it. And it's interesting because even to this day, if I get feedback from someone and I find it hard, I know immediately to just step away for at least 24 hours and just come down. And then look at it again. And it's almost never as bad as you feel like it is the first time you look at it. AKA me. No, you... (laughs) You've never given me any feedback that has sent me into a meltdown. That's good. Yeah, I mean, your stuff is mostly line edits, which is much easier to deal with because it's an issue of wording and stuff. You're not... I'm never going to take a line edit and make it mean that I'm a bad writer. You know, like story edits are what make you feel like you can't write. Mm -hmm. Um, You gave me a note, too, on the clinch, actually, that it sticks with me because you were super right. And it's a scene that I ended up pretty much totally overhauling and rewriting. Really? Yeah, and it was, um, and it's much better for it but it was one the note you gave me was this seems out of character and it's a very simple note but we you were talking about my main character and you're like this doesn't seem like her this is out of character and that's a great note i love that note i give that note a lot and and it was, you did it the right way too where you're not trying to say she would do this or she should say that or i don't like this line you know like you it was simple but it was enough to make me realize the whole fucking scene was broken you know and and it was true. This is not how this character would act. And yeah, I wrote a whole scene because of that note. And it's a very simple note. You don't see a shitload of red and melt down. You just see this is out of character. So even though it results in a pretty big edit, just it's so like subconscious and silly and like it's dumb. But the amount of red you see on the page matters. <laughs> so seeing just this is out of character instead of you ripping up every line of that scene is a much better note and even though the result is the same I rewrote the whole scene it was much more digestible so that's an important part of critiquing I think and just saying what parts of the story are working or are not working what parts of the character are working or are not working and sometimes if you have to break it down a little bit more than that you could you could say you know she was going in this direction and now she's going in this direction, you know, what gives, but it's mostly pointing out the flaw more than telling them what to do. And that's a huge part of critique. And sometimes even when people ask you what they should do, sometimes I will have that conversation and other times I won't. Other times I'll say, that's for you to decide you're the writer, Mm -hmm. you know, like I don't want you to do what I tell you to do necessarily. Cause then it's, you know, it needs to be your book. Mm -hmm. And, Ultimately, the writer knows the character better than, than I ever could by reading it once, you know. So it's, it's their job to take that note and fix it. Mm. But yeah, that was my, my first <laughs> experience with editing, and it was a good one. And I think a lot of the meltdown was because I was young and because it was my first, and I had never been edited before. I had no idea what to expect from it. And she was a professional. Mm-hmm. You know, if you get your first critique from, like, a critique group with other amateurs you're probably not going to have as rude of an awakening but when you go directly to a professional editor with a first time novel yeah there's going to be a lot of red <laughs> let's talk about charles <laughs> okay so charles is a character <laughs> charles is a reviewer i guess or a person on Goodreads. I think he's only on Goodreads. God knows. He might be on other places, too. But as far as I know, he's only on Goodreads. And he just hates lesbian fiction, or lesbians, most likely. (laughs) And um, he goes around and he gives every lesbian fiction book he can find one star.
1: Does he ever review them, or is it just a rating? Just a rating. Mm.
0: Yeah, I'm sure he's not reading any of them. You know, he's just going around being a hater.
1: How would you do that? You go on Goodreads and you search what to bring Um,
0: up well you can search genres i'm pretty sure you can search lesbian stuff on there but i think the way he does it probably is just knowing who all the lesbian authors are and who the big publishers are
1: really that's a lot of work what if it's an author
0: it could very well be i doubt it yeah i don't see why an author would do that
1: yeah it's it's someone who It sounds difficult. He's got to really be in the know. So that means he's got to be obsessed with freaking lesbians to know <laughs> the lesbian publishing companies, all of the lesbian authors, go into all their pages.
0: Well, I think that you like books pop up once you start searching a handful. Oh. You know, or maybe he's going to certain reviewers of Lesfic and just following everything they're working on. That might be an easy way to do it. You know, because there are a few reviewers who have a pretty big following and everything. So if you knew just the main top-tier reviewers who review a shitload of books and you just follow them and everything they rated you went through and rated, that would probably be pretty easy. But yeah, I mean, it's... It definitely takes some time and effort no matter how he does it. So he's definitely a hater. (laughs) And I guess many people have talked to Goodreads about this and been like, this person is obviously not reading these books and just hates everything. Like, this is not a valid review.
1: Oh, really? Yeah. And Goodreads can't do anything?
0: They won't do anything, no. So someone created the (laughs) (laughs) anti-Charles. And I love them for it. I really do. I, like, get so excited if I get a Charles review because I know anti-Charles is right behind him, and they are. And I know how the anti-Charles does it. They definitely just look at Charles's reviews and goes through after him and gives, gives those stories five stars to try to counteract the one star. And the only thing is that it doesn't totally counteract it.
1: That's what I was going to say, like, giving a five-star versus a one-star, you're going to have to need a lot more five-stars to counterbalance that one-star, right?
0: Totally, yeah, because if you average it, if he gives the book a one-star and someone else gives it a five-star, now you've got a three-star average, which is still not great. You know, mm-hmm. you don't want to be a three-star book.
1: Yeah. You
0: know, like, it's not the worst thing in the world, but you want to, like I said, my goal is to stay above four. Right. So a three still hurts me. Yeah. You know, so it, it doesn't totally counteract it, but I definitely appreciate the sentiment. I even thought for a second that I should make an anti-Charles, too. Because <laughs> you need two anti-Charles for one Charles, Yeah, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. Even then, I don't know if it would totally even it out. Yeah. Oh, and the thing is, is you can't make it like it was never there, right? Because to average it up to a five star is still to give someone a five star that they may or may not deserve. Yeah. So, unfortunately, there is no perfect answer. Then, In the perfect scenario, his would just go away.
1: Mm. You cannot make
0: a one, none, you know, a zero, though. You can't make it not factor into the average, no matter what you give it.
1: And you got your first legit hater.
0: <laughs> I mean, I guess it depends what makes it legit.
1: Well, somebody that created a profile just to give you a negative
0: rating. It seems that way, yeah, when someone pops up and gives you one star and they haven't reviewed anything else ever.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But that's how I know you made it, and it's on your book with, like, the most, you know, um, high ratings, so it's almost so easy to throw that one away.
0: It is easy because I think it brought me down like, .01 for, like, 10 minutes. Like, so it's, like, you can throw it out a little bit easier because I just have so many ratings on that one. You know, I mean, not so many, but over 200. I've got enough where one rating doesn't hurt yeah. hurt me that bad at this point. Yeah. So, I mean, it is kind of funny, and it's true that at a certain point, it's almost fun to have a hater, I guess. It's not fun. No one wants to be hated, you know, but you're able to see it as a part of reaching a certain amount of readers, I guess.
1: Right. Like, if it, if your book was, like... If it was average or anything, you know, average or below, and then you got that, that would hurt. But mm-hmm. knowing that you got, you know, high reviews from most of the people, it's mm-hmm. so easy. It makes it so easy.
0: Totally, yeah. And the thing is, too, is I I've read a lot about what it is to like do good marketing I guess and how to find your people and get a following and a lot of it is about actually being polarizing because if you are playing this people-pleasing game with everyone everyone's okay with you but no one loves you you know and it's actually the most successful people are polarizing which Because they're fans that love them, love them. And that's Mm -hmm. what you want, you know. But the the unfortunate part is that when you do that, you also get your group of people that hate you. Mm -hmm. You know, but that is... And it's a hard thing to be okay with, and I haven't really achieved that yet. I don't think I'm really... I don't have any books where I've had a ton of five stars and a ton of one stars, you know. Like, I've got that kind of normal spread so far, you know, five through three for the most part. Mm -hmm. But... um, That's kind of what you want. Like, that's what the superstars tend to have, is people love them or hate them. Hmm. So, in a weird way, if you have haters, you're kind of doing something right. Hmm. Because it means you took a stand. It means you said something. It means you did something. It means you did something boldly. Hmm. And anytime you do something bold, there's going to be people who are super into it, and there's going to be people who are super against it. True. True. So... You review stuff sometimes. I've seen you review a lot of products and things like that. Do you review books?
1: Um, kind of rarely because I don't <laughs> get to finish <laughs> many of the books. You know, yeah, I don't particularly review books, but when I do, I try to keep it fairly balanced. I try not to just go straight into bashing.
0: I'm interested in the art of reviewing a little bit as well. I mean, I have given out, like, I understand what it is to dissect a book, and I've done that for books I love, but that's pretty much the only time that I ever review a book is if I love it and I want to go deep on why I love it.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, I usually do a bunch of... Gosh, I review so much more things than books. (laughs) I don't know. Like music, Deftones came out with a remix album and I sat there and critiqued every freaking song and I was <laughs> like, this song's timing is off and I'm just wondering if the vocals have always been off beat and that's why people are having a hard time remixing these songs and they all sound off beat and blah, 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 blah. I don't know. So you
0: are willing to go negative though?
1: I, oh yeah, I, I'm willing to go negative, but I tried to keep it technical Mm -hmm. versus emotional and it's becoming harder and harder for me to review things because now I'm just seeing the people behind the things Mm -hmm. you know and I'm starting to just see the psychology and it's starting to ruin everything for me
0: what do you mean Like,
1: uh, I I just can't read these books anymore because all I can see are these people. You know, I feel like I know the authors. You know, I feel like the toxicity that they're into, their, you know, emotional shortcomings. I don't know. Just like, I'm like a mini psychologist, so into like the brain and behavioralism and all this kind of stuff.
0: So, are we talking about authors that you literally do know, or are you talking about books where you just feel like you know them and you're like, oh, this person's. This author's got this issue.
1: Yeah, I don't know them. Like, right now I'm reading a David Sedaris book. Uh Uh-huh. And, like, as much as I love him talking about all these weird stranger encounters and stuff, he's got quite a freaking ego. Mm-hmm. You know? And he's just like, oh, I don't want to do this, or blah, blah, blah. And he's always talking about his appearance and how he looks and blah, 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 and how other people look and... Mm hmm I'm just like, wow. Okay, you're, you're,
0: and you're put off by who who he is.
1: Yeah, mm. and now I'm like, well, that's not fair. You know, it's not fair to be. You know, I don't like I don't like what you're writing because I'm starting to not like you as a person. Hmm.
0: You know, in that case in particular is interesting because they're personal essays, so it kind of is fair in that situation because <laughs> it is about him. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Pardon me while I spew my drink everywhere.
0: (laughs) I mean, if it was fiction and you're seeing through it to what you believe might be issues with the author, that's a little more debatable because you don't know if it's there on purpose as fiction or if they really do have these neuroses. But in the case of Sedaris, it's personal essays. It is him. It is real.
1: (laughs) Right. Yeah. And he's just like, yeah, I'm not going to do the handiwork and gross my boyfriend you know is into fashion but also does you know like builds things for me and he's like put off by it and i'm like oh why why do you care you know
0: you <laughs> handy person Ew, <laughs> yeah I'm just- uh, it's so funny for me anytime you read a book after i've read a book because i died oh. reading sedaris i don't know which one you're reading but I freaking loved it. I, like, laughed my ass off, and I never hated him or anything. And it's always so interesting to me hearing your impressions after I've read it. Because a lot of the stuff I like, you'll come back and you don't like. And you'll, like, kind of even rip it up and be like, this person's a dick, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And then I kind of have to go back and look at it. It's kind of like, you remember when Twilight came out? As a movie, mm-hmm. everyone was like, "Edward's toxic as fuck. He's possessive and like creepy. creepy and yeah. coming into a room in the middle of the night. Yeah, and then like, and but I that, read the books, and I was so into the books. See me too, and that's what I'm saying. I feel like it's that experience all over again. Anytime you read something after I've read it, because I read it and I love it, and then you're like this and that and this, and I'm like, yeah, kind of.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's a he's a touch on the narcissist side and. uh,
0: Are you sure it's not just his sense of humor, though? Because he does have a very peculiar and specific sense of humor, and that's why he's so great.
1: It's, I don't even know if he's trying to be funny or if he's being honest, you know? Like, I I get mixed up.
0: I mean, he's definitely trying to be funny, but I don't know if he's also serious or not. If it's, like, funny because it's true or funny because it's not true, you know?
1: I wish I had examples, but I just, I can't. Here, here. Fifty Shades of Grey.
0: Okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> when we were reading that, I was like, "This is a woman who has never been with a person, has like never been in a full fledged relationship." This is a person who has never had a roommate. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Does not understand what roommates act like.
1: Right, roommates aren't
0: like, "Where are you going?" you better
1: come home soon you know (laughs) I want you to be safe you need to tell me when you're coming home late and just like no
0: yeah you're like this lady lived with her mom
1: yes (laughs)
0: or her grandma like one or the other yeah you know that's funny because I remember us talking about some of these things in the moment and Fifty Shades of Grey like not to be rude I, I hate talking shit about any author even if They are objectively terrible, but
1: like... Right, it was just fanfic, and
0: it blew the hell up. Yeah, it was clearly not a writer. So it's like, okay, well, is that your personality, or is that your lack of writing experience? Both. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: That's, I don't know, that's what I think. But uh, it was just too much. It was too much um, klutziness was definitely over-the-top with that. Over-the-top over the top klutziness. Um, over-the-top self-consciousness, self-esteem issues. Mm-hmm. It just, I don't know why this woman had a hard time just walking through a door <laughs> threshold, you know?
0: That's a thing you do when you're a new writer, though, is you're trying to convey that she's a klutz, but you don't realize that you're trying to convey it in every single scene, and it ends up being overkill, and that's why you need an editor, but she was self-published. Yeah.
1: But this also makes me lose faith in humanity even more because... People just wanted it for the beat-off material. Yeah, they loved it. Yeah, they loved it. And it was horrendous writing. Horrendous. You know, like, editors always tell you, don't reuse the same freaking word a thousand times. Right. She reused 500 words a thousand times. (laughs) Like, if I had to, like, Mr. Gray, I want to know the fucking word count on that thing.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, it's not even only the words. It was the sentence structure. Every sentence was the same.
1: Yeah, it was all. I like, mean, okay, Mr. Gray. What but... do you want me to do, Mr. Gray? Yes, Mr. Gray.
0: <laughs> yeah. To me, though, that all just feels like bad writing. It didn't make me think anything about her. Although your your comment that she'd never lived with a roommate, I did think was hilarious and probably on point. <laughs> it's kind of like I remember I wrote a scene. This is this is a funny this is a funny story. So I wrote a scene in a book that i was writing where the character was straight or at least she had an experience with a guy and she ended up she gave the guy a hand job and he came Mm -hmm. and a male writer friend of mine read it and was like where is his cum this is a big problem where did his cum go like why aren't we talking about what he did with his cum wow (laughs) And I'm like, sorry, I haven't been around a dick in a while (laughs) Is
1: that of Liquid Amber?
0: Yeah Oh my god, that's
1: another another non-lesbian book Nicole wrote That's amazing and I wish it would come out I've never i'm just gonna brag on her a little bit okay oh. Are you gonna let me brag about it? so this book is about like following this girl from age very 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 young to like adulthood but the way she writes a child and the way she writes a teenager and the way she writes you know adult is very specific and it's very true to life and it was shocking i was like whoa this is totally how a little kid thinks But anyway. Aw, thank you. (laughs) Also, when you wrote the scene about the dude, you know, I got all those flashbacks. I'm like, oh my god. (laughs) I forgot. I think you uh, talked about wiry pubic hair. Uh (laughs) And I was like, oh my god, I forgot. I forgot
0: forgot guys and their wiry pubic hair. (laughs) Nailed the pubic hair, forgot the forgot the cum. Forgot the cum issue.
1: <laughs> I know. Like I think about I think back to all those things with dudes, you know, I'm like, they came. We did all of the same stuff and they came. Where did it
0: go? Where did it go? Was it not an issue for you? It was not an issue. Okay, good. Where the hell did it go? Okay, so maybe as a- I don't remember. <laughs>
1: Just went into the atmosphere. I don't know. It's on his pants. I don't...
0: Yeah. (laughs) I do remember one interaction where it was an issue, where it ended up on his clothing, and it was very clear what had happened, and we (laughs) did not know what to do about it. You're like, oh, shit, we're actually in public, and this could be a problem. You know, we were at my house, and we were going to have to figure out how to get out without anybody realizing, (laughs) gonna hold the book bag right there textbook no it was on his shirt
1: oh mm-hmm. yeah that's right they always talk about that in books it's on, the, it's on his belly it's on his shirt yeah
0: sorry to get graphic but that was my one issue but that was like the exception to the rule and it was like that one only sticks out because if something weird did happen but most of the time it was a non-issue yeah you know but i don't know that was just funny to have a male read that scene and be like you, you so gay. Like, what happened to the comb, bitch? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, busted.
1: What a weird technicality <laughs> you gotta really
0: account for. I'm mean, gonna take it from a guy, though, you know, like. Yeah, you're like true. Okay, hold uh, on. All right, all right. <laughs> I mean, that feels like one of these details that I don't want to bother with. But if it's distracting to you, I will. All right. You know? <laughs> Apparently, men worry a lot about what becomes of their comb. <laughs>
1: I don't know about you, but I freaking hate writing sex scenes.
0: Oh, I love writing sex scenes.
1: Really? Yeah, I like it. Oh god, I hate it. Why? I I didn't think I would hate it. Why do you hate it? I don't know, but I had when I was doing trying to do the Delilah Diaries, I've, like I even have like a, a little video I did of me writing the sex scene,
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and I'm just like. Well, the main issue is that I was writing this character while she's still in her teenage phase, you know, and everything's still new and fresh and awkward and fumbly. Uh-huh. And it was just so cringy, mm-hmm. especially because most of this is taken from my journals, honestly.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so it's just like, ah! Uh, so
0: you wrote about sexual encounters in your journals? Oh, yeah. And then tried to just...
1: Yeah, insert it into the Delilah Diaries and, you know, fictionalize it. Yeah. But, oh, God. You know, reading them back and it's just painfully accurate and real. (laughs) You know, it is especially when it's teenagehood, you know, when it's your first
0: experience. So it's almost good that it's cringy and painful because teenage sex is cringy and not not good.
1: But I didn't know if that was going to be... You know, received well, you know, if other people are gonna be like, oh, this is just too painful, like, yeah. I'm gonna put this down, you know?
0: <laughs> There's definitely a line you gotta walk, because you want to capture the awkwardness, but you don't want to make it literally uncomfortable to read to where people don't want to. Right. For example, I was struggling with... This
1: is... Okay, this is a little bit inappropriate, but it...
0: We already talked about Come, <laughs> come on shirts. I think we're going
1: <good. laughs> Okay, well, I I talked about um, in the book and in real life when they're about to kind of do it for the first time, and the girl like unbuttons the other girl's shirt or pants, you know, and it's like sees all her pubic hair, mm-hmm. and it's all like. Whoa, Amazon. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, no. Amazon woman. Uh-huh. Let me take care of you. And this actually happened to me with my first girlfriend. Oh, she was no. like, let me, let me, let me shave you.
0: Oh, so you were in the Amazon.
1: I was the <laughs> Amazon. Okay, you know what? (laughs) You know what? This is normal.
0: (laughs) There are girls that are Amazon. They have hair. Okay, how old were you?
1: Uh, 17. Okay. So, you know, I didn't know what to do. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, I've never shaved there. Meanwhile, she's freaking shaving hearts into her freaking pubic hair. You know, she's like a super expert artist. (laughs) (laughs) You know, yeah. And so she's like, let me, let me just help you out with that. You Uh know, Uh, oh god, just no, just no.
0: (laughs) Just having it in a book is just too awkward.
1: Yeah, I don't know. It's so hard because it's based on real life that was the hard part for me it's because i'm basically throwing in real life things into my fiction writing
0: well and that's a particular type of sex scene too the sex scenes that i write are designed to be super sexy you know i have not really ever tread into that world where you're playing with the awkward and the embarrassing or where it doesn't work out that's a very different type of scene, and I imagine it is uncomfortable because those situations are uncomfortable.
1: hmm
0: So it's kind of different. Plus, they're teenagers, so getting all super sexy and hot is kind of weird. Even though it totally happens, but... Yeah. I'm like so embarrassed. I can't stop. <laughs> You're like, pause the podcast. I need a minute. Just delete it all. <laughs> Never mind. No, no. <laughs> Keeping it.
1: <laughs> but yeah, it's just, it's super embarrassing when you bring in your real life into your writing, but it also adds to the realism. Mm-hmm. But it just makes it so much more cringy. At the same time, you're like, I know this is accurate, but this is freaking painful. At the yeah. same time, yeah,
0: you gotta smooth it out. You know, you gotta keep the keep the bone structure, but smooth it out. Yeah, a little bit.
1: Make it sexy a little bit. Finesse it. Yeah, it was sexy up until that part. You know, it's all like, oh yeah, oh, and then it's like, here, let me shave you, and it's like, ah.
0: I don't know. Well, it depends on your goal with the scene, too. Is the goal of the scene to be sexy? The goal of the scene is to set up that she's controlling, actually. Okay, then it's okay that it's not sexy. (laughs) Because you're not trying to be sexy.
1: Essentially, her character is a Barbie doll, and her... Her girlfriend just kind of moves her around and does whatever. She goes, hey, you need to be shaved. I'm gonna shave you. Hey, I think you would look sexier like this. Let me dress you. To the point where, you know, she's fucking lifting up the character's arms, taking the clothes off, putting the clothes on her physically. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like... Like she's an object.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, then it's okay that it's not sexy. Being sexy was never the point. Yeah. I know. It's still cringy, though. Which means it's almost not even a sex scene.
1: It's not a sex scene. No. Well, that part anyway. Yeah.
0: So there you go. <laughs> you don't hate sex scenes. You hate that scene that happened to have a sexy moment.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It and it's also, like, super cringy knowing that people are going to read it. Yes. And thinking, oh, this is what you actually went through.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, in my case, Yes. That is exactly what I went through. In your case, I don't know so much. (laughs) But, like, yeah, I think that's what made it extra cringy for me, is being like, oh, reading it through my mom's eyes, through my sister's eyes, through my friend's eyes, coworkers, you know, being like, oh.
0: Yeah. I mean, in my case, it's interesting because a lot of people – When, you know, the the topic of sex scenes come up, they'll be like, oh, well, was it inspired by real events? Wink, wink. Like, that's like a fun (laughs) question that people like to ask just to see what you'll do, you know. And it's my conclusion on the matter is almost that it's irrelevant. It doesn't matter if I've actually done exactly these things in exactly this place or in exactly this order or any of it. That's less important. What's important is that I'm trying to be sexy, and you know I'm trying to be sexy, which means that you now know that this is what I think is sexy. It doesn't really matter if I did it or not. Does that
1: not make you (laughs) self-conscious? Yes, it does. Of course it does. You're like, oh, this bitch thinks this is sexy. It's like, oh.
0: Yeah. Oh. (laughs) Yeah, and there's no getting around that. They know that that's what you think is good sex, because you're clearly trying to write good sex.
1: I feel so... Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So called out, so on the spot. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, Yeah, I mean, it's it's a little nerve-wracking, especially when you know people you know are reading it. That's really the only time I care. Yeah. And when it's strangers, I don't really give a fuck, because I know it is sexy for the most part. Maybe certain word choices or whatever, like, do it for some people and not others, or whatever, you know, like certain lines might not totally do it, but I know overall that like yeah, this is generally agreed upon good sex, you know, like
1: so what makes a shitty sex scene for you?
0: Uh, well, a few things. Vocabulary is the easiest way to fuck up a sex scene.
1: Absolutely.
0: I I think, you know, and it So seemed- what
1: kind of vocabulary?
0: My philosophy is to keep it as basic as humanly possible because the more you deviate from the basic the more you're guaranteed to turn off a certain percentage of the people who read it some people like the word like like you're probably pretty safe with the word pussy almost everyone uses pussy right
1: you know, I really, 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 really hated that word until I got with you and you used it so much and <laughs> normalized it for me that <laughs> now I feel comfortable using it, but I
0: hate that word for Interesting. the longest okay, time. Okay. Maybe it's not the best example then, because I don't actually love it either. It's just, again, used so commonly. It's the best common word we have, you know, because vagina is not sexy. Volva's not sexy.
1: No. It's not sexy. <laughs> <laughs>
0: you know, folds never no, does uh, it for me.
1: No folds.
0: A lot of people use that one. That one's become quite normal, but oh, that one no. doesn't do it for me. But, you know, so pussy, I think, is kind of the most normal if you're going to refer to it as anything. I try not to even refer to it. I try not to use a word for pussy or whatever. I just try to...
1: Just say inside Inside
0: her. or just her even usually touch her you know like in the context of everything else you know what i mean
1: right yeah right her hand slid down into her pants and she went inside her yes you don't need to be like her flower yeah exactly silken folds or whatever
0: (laughs) yeah yeah or just inside even you don't even have to say her sometimes but you know right center is something i've seen Yeah. Like her creamy center.
1: (laughs) How many licks did it take to get to the center of a lesbian?
0: I think it's usually like pushed against her center, I think is typically how people say that. I
1: thought you were going to say it was usually like 2,000 licks to get to the center of a lesbian.
0: Never counted. (laughs) Uh, much like a Tootsie pop who cares? <laughs> no one. <laughs> Someone take count, let us know. <laughs> if you can ke- if you can keep count, you're not doing it right. <laughs> 1, 2, 3. <laughs> Oh, but anyway, just tricks like that where I try not to refer to, I try to use as little graphic language as possible because anytime you do that, you're alienating someone. Someone just came out of that scene. Like, and you want to keep that number as low as possible so you use the language that is okay with as many people as possible. Because the second you commit, and the weirder it is, once you start talking about lunch boxes or whatever, <laughs> you know. <laughs> the weirder it is, the more people you're probably alienating. So you want to be as generic as humanly possible, which goes against some writers' instincts. Yeah. Because I think, I mean, and this is specific to sex scenes, although in general you probably shouldn't get flowery with language just to do it either. But I think that that's how you get a lot of these really weird terms is because they were trying to be writery about it. They feel obligated to come up with a creative way to say it. Yeah,
1: nice poetic flowery way to say vagina
0: yeah but when you do that a certain percentage of people will not like it and even if it's not that they don't like it if they've never seen it before they're still gonna pause and be like baby guess what this person just called vagina you Honestly. know and, and still no matter what gonna bring them out of the story and you don't want that yeah true so i say generic with language in sex scenes in particular so that's huge language is huge and um Beyond that, it needs to be... Dialogue can really fuck it up really easily, too. Like what they're saying to each other? Yes. Mm. I love it when they talk. I think it's super hot, but it's also easy to fuck it up.
1: Where's the line?
0: Mm. I guess, again, it's a certain amount of being generic, I guess. But not too... You, it's, it's weird because the sexiness comes from it being a thing you haven't heard before. That's what gives you that shot of like, oh shit, you know? Like, so you do want it to be unique, but you don't want it to be unusual? Does that make sense? Okay. Unique, but not unusual. Hmm.
1: Give me an unusual line. Like mommy, daddy type shit.
0: No. Because that's not unusual. That's particular.
1: Hmm.
0: And will alienate some people, but that's a well-known sex language. Okay. We all are familiar with that dynamic, whether you're into it or not.
1: So, like, babyfying or maybe?
0: Maybe. It's just anything that is unusual.
1: Like, oh, I'm going to suckle at your teat.
0: Yeah, that's gross. <laughs> <laughs> Please do not use the word suckle. I'm sure, well, here's the thing, though. I'm sure there's your percentage of the population that's into that. The thing we should touch on, too, is the fact that we're talking about romance. If you're talking about erotica, it's kind of a different set of rules. That's where you would see your mommy, daddy type of stuff and Mm -hmm. maybe your suckle kind of shit or role play of any form. Like that's where you can play with that kind of stuff because it's about sex and people are looking for unique and different sexual, sexual situations. Just like there's every type of porn in the world, you know, that might not be your brand of porn, but some people want to watch an octopus fucking anime character. I don't know. (laughs)
1: True. Okay. So there's room for that in erotica. Exactly. Romance, not so much. Exactly. Like, oh yes, abuse my kitty cat
0: sure (laughs) oh yes abuse my kitty cat is a weird (laughs) is a weird thing to say like if someone said that to you in real life you would be like what like (laughs) whether you stopped or not or whatever it would like your brain you would come out of it for a second to to deal with this thing you were not expecting to hear
1: right and i think that i think we've talked about this before but the reason why it's so weird in romance is because they're first falling in love and you don't dish out the, the kinky stuff until later, you know. For Most
0: s- people, yes.
1: Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Unless you're on, like, a fetish dating site and you're like, hey, I want to do this kind of stuff, you know,
0: up front. Yes, which again probably means you're reading erotica.
1: Right, yeah.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's tricky because you want to make it unique without making it weird. You know, that's the best way I can say it. Yeah. Because it's, we definitely want to see variety and there's a thrill in seeing something you've never seen before, whether it's a position or a location or something someone says or whatever. If you've not thought of it and it happens on the page, you're going to have an immediate reaction. Mm. So you want to do that, but you want to do that in a way that has as little risk of it grossing them out as possible, I guess, (laughs) or repelling them, you know, or just jarring them, you know, you want to, you want to shake them in a good way, not in a, like, what the fuck did you just say way.
1: Right, yeah.
0: (laughs) So, I mean, and dialogue is tricky for that, because, I don't know what it is, but I've seen a lot of good sex scenes that, I mean, even if they weren't necessarily ruined, the dialogue messed it up. Mm. I've also seen plenty where the dialogue made it, you know, like, if someone says something and it does hit, it can be, like it'll shoot it up a few levels immediately. Mm. So it really depends. But dialogue, vocabulary is an easy way to come off the rails. Dialogue is another easy way to come off the rails. Mm. Another way is some people will kind of try to play with this idea that They want to make it, quote, real, you know, so they want to insert an awkward moment or something doesn't go right or, Mm -hmm. you know, someone falls off the bed or can't get out of their pants or, you know, (laughs) whatever. Yeah, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And um, it's cute in theory, but a lot of them, when I actually see them, they don't go well Hmm. and it breaks all the tension. And now you've got to start over, you know, like you were in this super sexy place and now we're in this hot ha place, which is fine. But now you've got to work to get me back into sexy. Mm, so you gotcha. lost, you lost tension. You lost momentum. Mm. Cause now, you know, and it's even, even in real life, that is how it is. Like if you, if you've ever had something like that happen, you kind of reset, like not all the way to the beginning, but you're going to like start back at kissing for a moment to get the mood back. You know, and the same thing is true in writing. Now you've got to set the mood again. True. So, you, you're you starting over,
1: mm-hmm. kind of. Mm-hmm.
0: Maybe not all the way from the beginning, but you went backwards. Mm-hmm.
1: I like the realism. I like when they get, you know, silly and they can laugh in bed and whatever. But if there's too much, like you said, where it's just a full stop mm-hmm. and go back to the beginning, you know?
0: hmm
1: You're right. Yeah. Even in real life, something like that happens. You're like, ah, oh, ah. Oh. Right. <laughs> it, it, yeah,
0: it, it takes a minute to, to get back to where you were.
1: Yeah, it takes a minute to get back into sexy. You're yeah. too busy fighting all these self-conscious thoughts for a minute. Right.
0: And yeah. the same thing happens in a book. Gotcha. Another thing you got to be careful of, which is, this one's easier to miss, where the sex scene happens within a chapter. Because if you do it early in a chapter it's fine if they've been reading for a while, but if they stopped and they just started reading on this chapter and boom, sex is happening, again, you might not have the mood required. Mm, We need the foreplay, the emotional foreplay. Exactly. So if emotional foreplay happens in chapter 16 and sex happens at the beginning of chapter 17, well, if they stopped between those two, your sex scene's not going to hit.
1: True. Hmm.
0: I think another thing is just not doing anything original i know i've been talking about not doing anything too weird but it's equally deadly to not do anything original there are a handful of sex scenes that we all kind of know the choreography right
1: <laughs> i don't i haven't read a ton of sun uh, uh, i haven't read a ton of sex scenes
0: mm-hmm. okay well i mean it's it's a lot like real sex there's you know certain sex that is very i don't know normal you know repetitive and then there's your sexy sex which is kind of it's more spontaneous.
1: Okay, it's like it's like uh it's like the sex scenes that we watched in Hannibal mm-hmm. versus watching the sex scenes that we saw in Unfaithful.
0: Yeah exactly it's
1: like oh your mouth is missing you're barely kissing you yeah know, the same missionary kind of ugh, yeah mouth around a nipple and then yeah. fucking you know exactly versus unfaithful they're banging in the stairwell or you yes, know in the exactly. public bathroom that's a lot more hot and
0: yeah because there's a urgency there's an you can feel how much they want each other because they can't even make it in fucking tide right they're in the stairs you know Mm -hmm. like so there's you you feel the passion more and the urgency more versus you know not to like there's nothing wrong with missionary sex or whatever but again it's a thing you're used to seeing everyone's seen a million romances where we're just looking at brad pitt's back well you know like (laughs) or whoever's you know (laughs) like you don't want to do the same scene we've seen a million times. Everyone knows exactly what I'm talking about when I say that sex scene where you're just looking at the dude's back. Everyone has an image yeah. now.
1: <laughs> dude's back, his mouth fake around her nipple, <laughs> the mock making out, and then they have sex, quote unquote. You it's might all see slow mo, yeah, maybe yeah. a little bit of ass, and then and then cut to them just sleeping.
0: Yeah, or yeah. like now they're laying on their backs talking about how great it was. Yeah. same shit different movie yeah don't write that scene (laughs) (laughs) so do it somewhere weird and then use the somewhere weird to enhance it Mm. always use the location yeah wherever you are make it factor in like in her to protect i have a sex scene where they're in a hotel room that has an all-glass wall guess where they're fucking On the all-glass wall. (laughs) (laughs) You know, can the public see their ass? Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) That is part of the fun. (laughs) And, And just playing with certain things that you, you know, everyone has certain tropes, you know, that they like. And it might not be everybody's, but there are certain main ones, you know, power dynamics and... Maybe a, flirting with the being in public or being close, you know, fear of getting caught and things like that. You you want to amp it up. It's the same way you would amp up any other scene. How do I make this, how do I make the stakes higher? Mm-hmm. That is your job as a writer is always to make the stakes higher. Well, what's one way to make the stakes of sex higher? Well, they might get caught, mm-hmm. you know, like, or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. but you, you can use all these different things to play into that and just make it, just amp it up a little bit. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, on the flip side of that, how how is it you can tell when somebody's writing something super personal versus fictionalized? Because I don't know, like some people, like, sure, they've gone through it probably personally, but when they put it in their book, it seems fine. But then other people, you're like, oh, yeah, you totally do this in real life. This is kind of gross knowing that you do this with your...
0: (laughs) Um, okay, so you're talking about, like, the toxic traits of people coming through again, or? Not so much
1: the toxic, but it's plainly them. Especially Mm. when you meet them, and you're like, oh, this is... This is so exactly you.
0: Yeah. Knowing an author too well probably almost always messes up the magic to a point. Like, just meeting them doesn't necessarily, but I imagine if you get too close to any author, you would probably start to be a little bummed out by it. (laughs) I mean, you just follow them alone, you know, Mm -hmm. and you
1: follow them on Facebook or Mm -hmm. Instagram or whatever, and you're like, oh, yeah, this is... I know your personality traits, you know, just following you personally. And then I read your sex scenes and I'm like, I I just know this is exactly you.
0: (laughs) There's a few different ways you can tell that. One would be over a body of work if their characters are not very different. It's Mm -hmm. probably because it's just them. Over and over again.
1: So over their body of work, it's the exact same?
0: I mean, it's not the exact same, but it's... similar, it's very close, you know, and they have the same kind of thought processes or the same kind of problems over and over again. So if over the body of work, all of their main characters, for example, aside from looking different, basically act the same, Mm -hmm. it's probably because that's pretty much who the author is. Mm -hmm. Um, Another way to tell would be how well they create arguments between their characters because the better of an argument you can create, it really means the better you're able to assume multiple points of view. So someone who is writing through their own limitations, particularly if they're writing about an issue they have hangups about themselves, they're not going to be able to argue it that well. Mm, okay. Does that and, make sense?
1: Yeah, and that's probably why I enjoy your writing a lot. You're, you're <laughs> miss like Devil's advocate. Let's think of it from every freaking angle. Like, circular thoughts, pattern, you know?
0: hmm Yeah, I mean, that's that's a skill that most writers have that are are good at that, to be able to assume multiple points of view because you're going to have conflict in any story, and they have to assume multiple points of view to even write that conflict. But they'll do it with varying degrees of success. And if you ever feel a story is one-sided if there's a one-sided power dynamic or a one-sided advocacy for one of them versus the other of them it's probably because they can't see the other side that well which is probably because they themselves have that affliction Mm
1: -hmm. so when you can read the author through the book does it just take away the magic
0: depends (laughs) mostly i guess yes Cause no one wants to really feel like they're just reading an author's fantasy version of themselves, I guess. Yeah. That's kinda that's a thing that'll disconnect you from it, where it's like, oh, you kind of just see yourself as this person and this is just your fantasy. Versus this is a well-formed three-dimensional story. So, I mean, I don't know. I've had a few stories ruined from that. Not too many, I guess, but there are definitely situations, too, where it's very plain, where just the, the protagonist just plainly reflects the author, and you know that. Yeah. I mean, some of these are more blatant than others, but I've seen some where they even look like them. Huh. You know, they look like them, they act like them, they talk like them, their background is like them. It's just them. Mm. You know? And um, those can be a little frustrating, but again, it depends on what they do with the story, too, because it doesn't really bother me until it becomes totally self-serving.
1: See, this is, where, this is where it gets messy for me. Because everyone says, write what you know.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And you've written about cops, which you've not been a cop, but you've been a dispatcher. You've written about martial arts. Mm-hmm. You've not necessarily done cage fighting, but you've done martial arts. Mm-hmm. Uh, the musician thing, you know, you were partially in a band for a little bit. Uh-huh. Um, so... You're drawing from a lot of your own experiences, but at the same time, how do you balance it? You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, I think that it is tough to balance a a lot of what I do. One is that I tend to write worlds that I at least have a glimpse into. It's not necessarily my world. The clinch is the closest thing to my world Mm. where I really have done martial arts and it's been a huge part of my life. And I did very little research because I didn't have to because my life has been dedicated to it. That's the closest thing I've done to writing something that is really my world. But even that, there's a twist on it. I mean, she's a UFC champion. Mm-hmm. And so there's levels to these things. You know, she's on a different level, she's living that life professionally. She's teaching taekwondo, which I have done, but not in the way she's doing it. You know, so there's variations. But you take this world that you have a peek into. You know, or like with Hearst to Protect the Cop example is another example. I haven't been a cop, but I've been a dispatcher. I'm writing about a world that I've seen that I have some insight into that I feel I could write well, but it's not necessarily my world. Mm -hmm. I want to know enough about it to be able to write it well, or at least to have access to it so I can do the research I need to do to write it well. And I need to have a connection to it. That's the thing too, is you surround yourself with the things that are interesting to you and that you feel are worthy of. Pursuing and being around. Well, stories are the same thing. You write stories about things that are interesting to you and that are worthy of being pursued and thought about. So it's natural for there to be some overlap. But a lot of the differentiating factors is you're going to go there much more in a story. It, in real life, it's a thing you've seen varying degrees of, a little bit, even a lot. But in the story, you're going all the way in. You're diving into the deep end.
1: You just got to really amp up the fiction.
0: You amp up the fiction, and you go deeper than you are in your real life. And a lot of it is character work, too. You have to actively make sure that character is not you. If you're not active about it, it will be you, because you are going to write as you. Yeah. When you're writing, you're just writing down your thoughts. Well, guess whose brain you're in? Yours. Right. So you have to actively make a character. You cannot just passively start writing.
1: This makes me worried about the (laughs) Delilah (laughs) Diaries.
0: Well, the Delilah Diaries is you. <laughs> I
1: know, but I'm trying to fictionalize it at the same time. It's r- dancing on this line where it's mostly my journals.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's like 70 for, 75% my fucking journals and the rest is fictionalized.
0: Well, here's how you fix it if you want to fix it. The thing you just have to do is you have to make Delilah more real. Because if you don't do the work to make Delilah her own person, she will be you by default. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So you have to decide who she's going to be and why. Give her a story. Give her lots of background information. It doesn't all have to go into the fucking book. You need to know everything about her.
1: Okay. I did make an insane character background thing about her.
0: There you go. So you got to do that. You've got to keep it fresh, remember it. You've got to constantly be asking yourself as you're writing this book if that is how this person would act. Because, again, anytime you're not actively thinking about it, you default to you. Yeah. So you have to constantly be checking in with, is this her or is this me? Is this her or is this me? Would she do this? Or if she does do something unpredictable, if you just have a creative inspiration, you need to know why she did that. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, And if it's not there, you need to go put it there. It's fine. You can do it in reverse. You can make it up later. But you have to ultimately make sure it all makes sense.
1: Informative. Thank you.
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Characters is just... It's such a fun subject, and it's so difficult. And I, that's why it's so important is because of that is... Because it's very hard to write as someone who is not you. I mean, you can... You only naturally see the world through your own eyes. I mean, of course you do. You know, so to go back and try to get outside... To an extent, you can't get outside of that because all perception is your perception, but you can put a spin on it. Yeah.
1: I really want to do something with this very tiny short that I wrote that was... um, This was so detached from me. I don't even know where it came from, but it was just a girl sitting outside in the rain and then the sky opens the door and he's all like come back inside Mm -hmm. and she gets up and she obeys and it's very like master slave slave type thing Mm -hmm. you know and and then I say that uh he puts his leash on her collar or something like that and I don't even know where I was going with that (laughs) (laughs) That's fun, though. The alcohol runneth thick. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I would love to explore
0: something like that. It's funny you just said the alcohol runneth thick. It reminds me of that classic phrase, right? drunk and it's sober. Mm-hmm. And uh, so many people take that literally because they think that writers are alcoholics. That's not the meaning of it. It's metaphorical. It's right. drunk doesn't mean literally be drunk. It means write with abandon let your creativity go write about the leash just because it's fun and you want to and you had this idea and let it go wherever it wants to go right drop just go right be sloppy you know yeah. and then edit and you know refine it or whatever
1: yeah i wanted it to be confusing to the reader i wanted them to question wait was that a dog or mm. was that a woman
0: mm-hmm. and that was the
1: whole goal of the short
0: that's fun and tough yeah. It's tough to intentionally confuse the reader and at the same time make them realize you intentionally confuse them. Yeah. Because if they think it was an accident, they think you're a bad writer. Mm-hmm. So what you have to do is temporarily confuse them and then by the end somehow let them know you meant to. Right. And it's tricky. It's tricky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's tricky. Well, this has been a fun episode. Yeah,
1: this has been fun talking craft, but <laughs> I've got nothing else. All
0: right. All right. I don't think I do either, so we'll just go ahead and wrap it up. We're right about at that time anyway. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Les Lit. It's been great hanging out with you all. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a like, share, follow, comments, all of that. We'd love to hear from you guys in any way. And we'll catch you next time. Bye!